Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today to talk about our first game of the 2020 European Championship being played in 2021, I've got two of my three co-hosts. Ryan Bailey has decided to go and play music and be fancy in that way. But here, steadfast in their determination to explain what went wrong for Turkey and what went very right for Italy, are up first, Graham Ruthven. I announced Graham first because he previewed Italy, so I think he gets all the credit for this 3-0 win. <laughs> yeah, and I think I also said... I'm along with a number of other people, I said that Italy were going to be quite good. And that, yeah. that, that panned out a little bit in this match. They were pretty, pretty impressive, I would say. Uh, Graham, I don't know where you are on the like, sort of like tournament prognostications, but I, I saw a lot of Italy somehow listed as a dark horse. Can Italy ever be a dark horse? Like, I know <laughs> no. they didn't qualify for the World Cup, but they're fundamentally, they are Italy. No, no, you can't have Italy. That, okay. That's against the rules, I'm afraid, of major major <laughs> soccer tournaments. You can't have Italy. What, what are they, the second most, or the th- second or third most successful international team yeah, they're in bad. history? You, yeah, you can't have them as a dark horse. <laughs> uh, so Italy is not the dark horse. I would say... Uh, my second co-host of the day is also not a dark horse because he's been here. He's done all the previewing. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, I can't give you the credit for Italy's win, but I also won't blame you for Turkey's loss. You know what? I'll take that. I'll operate in that little in-between zone where I didn't do anything really right, but I didn't do anything really wrong. I'm fine to be in that spot, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, man. You were, uh, I would say, uh, if you were in the Turkey squad and you didn't do anything wrong, that put you as one of their better performers on the day because it started <laughs> off okay, did not end up okay for them. We're going to talk about the game. First, we're going to talk about the opening ceremony. Uh, I did not watch it. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you did, but I do know that nope. Ryan Bailey did and mentioned to say, I'm not going to be on the show today, but I do need you all to talk about the opening ceremony. So I'm turning it over to Graham. Graham, your thoughts? <laughs> it's cruel that Ryan is not on this podcast for the, the opening ceremony where Bono was a floating holographic head <laughs> and the edge was, it, it seemed to be in a different place to Bono and Andrea Bocelli was singing, um, you know, in, in, in an Italian stadium. It's just cruel that, that he's, that he's not here for this, but it was, it was genuinely quite incredible. It had a bit of everything. And I was, I was saying to you before in the chat, um, major soccer tournament opening ceremonies don't tend to be that. That notable, particularly when compared to Olympic opening ceremonies, but this was, this was pretty good. It was, it was, it was a bit slightly emotional in points with Bocelli and, and just obviously everything that the fact this tournament's been postponed a year and the fact there's fans in the stand and it feels like normality's returning a little bit. And then there were weird, weird bits with the holographic Bono and then some impressive bits with, um, kind of augmented reality as well. It was, it was, it was pretty decent. We will have to get Ryan's thoughts on this uh, tomorrow or whenever yes. he is next on the program. But until then, like uh, I'm going to give you some uh, words real fast, Graham. Would you say it was emotional? I feel like you said that one in there. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I, I put out a tweet which obviously um, made light of the situation. But yeah, there was a little bit of a, a tear in my when, when uh, yeah, Andrea Bocelli is... Uh, I forget that they, what's the name of the, the famous Bocelli song that Nassan Dorma, is it called? I can't remember. But it's... Oh, um, yes. Uh, Nassan Dorma, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, slightly emotional at that point. Yeah. I'm just still stuck on holographic Bono. I, I know that's not <laughs> emotional. Uh, but what? Like, what? What? I have so many questions. Taylor. Well, when you so think about questions. it, I feel like it was the natural next step for Bono. You know, after <laughs> after he appeared on everyone's iPods and iPhones. Magically, uh, all at the same it, time. Yeah, it was only a matter of time before he was fully absorbed into the ether. Uh, He's ascended into a higher plane of existence at this point. Yeah. Here's how I know that he has truly ascended in the sense that he has moved on from like the pop culture vernacular. Joe, I'm pretty sure you're pronouncing it as though he is Toronto FC's goalkeeper, and I find that yeah. 
standing. <laughs> yeah, Bono, Bono. That was a that was a misstep on my part. I do know the proper way to pronounce it, Taylor. On all the names that we're gonna say on this show, I didn't think Bono slash Bono was going to be the one that gave me the most trouble off the bat. But here we are. Here we are. I just I, I just liked it because you want the opening ceremony. You don't want it to be self serious, but you want it to have a little bit of that. So you've got the emotional aspect. Definitely had the weirdness, and then it had a little bit of the fun. So it sounds like it was a good way to begin a tournament that is just really exciting. I, I tweeted this out. I wasn't expecting to be this enthusiastic about it, but like the more I thought about it during the day, I woke up and was like, oh, it starts today. And rather than feeling apprehensive about all the games to come, it was sort of like, yeah, it's another big tournament. We haven't had one of these. And to see the fans, to see the the atmosphere, it made me really excited. And on a personal level, I'll say that like I never got that much into the Euros because we don't have as much of a rooting interest if you're a fan of the U.S., if you live in the United States, or if you live in the Western Hemisphere, basically. Um, the thing that sort of got me more into it was watching them with Daryl because he had the England connection. And even if he tried to be neutral, he would sort of get pulled back in and he always got into it. And so you get pulled into it that way. And Joe, I have a feeling that spending the next month and a half talking about European games with uh, a Scot and, and an Englishman <laughs> will be a very good way to sort of understand the emotionality and the like just the strength of the competition and how much fun it is so i'm really really excited uh did you all share that level of enthusiasm or were you maybe a bit more muted in this one joe we'll start with you i was excited yeah taylor i think i feel similar things that that you do i felt similar things wondering in the in the lead up to this tournament how how excited am i going to be because the u.s isn't playing and that's the team i spend the most time watching Mm. and think about at least on an international level but man, there's so much quality in, in these teams. There's so much excitement to actually have a big tournament after all this time, making it through, you know, a lot of the pandemic now, or at least in a lot of areas that's happened. So it, it's so, it's so fun to get to watch these players play. And it's a shame that, that it's happening after such a congested season and all of that. But I like watching good players play soccer and we're going to see a lot of that in this tournament. We certainly are. And then we're going to have Graham talking about Scotland when Scotland gets to play. Graham, for you, <laughs> what, what is it like? I mean, I know it's been, what, 26 years, but what, what do you expect it to be like when Scotland are playing? Um, I, I'm not sure because I've never had this before in my <laughs> adult life. Um, I was seven when Scotland were in a last in a major tournament in 1998. And, and that's one of the things when you're talking about they're having a, an interest in, and, you know, when the, the World Cup's on with the US. Um, I've, I'm the complete opposite. Every major tournament that I've watched that I have been able to remember, um, has had Scotland haven't been there. So this is, this is a completely new experience for me. And I don't know what to expect. I mean, I was really quite, um, just because this season has been so long and so, not so long, I guess, because it started late, but it's been so intense up until about two weeks or a week ago, even I was, I was quite fearful of the Euros just because it's, I, I, I didn't know if I had the energy in me to watch so much football so close to the end of the, the club season. But now it's here and it's impossible here in Scotland. You know, there's a fan zone in Glasgow. We're hosting games. There's been hype videos every single day from sponsors and there's adverts and there's the Scotland national team are putting out hype videos. And today they did a 10 hour live broadcast and all the radio shows are, it's, it's, it's impossible to ignore and impossible not to get caught up in it. And as I said to you before, I'm actually not the most patriotic person. And I'm not the biggest Scotland national team fan. I'm a bit of a lapse fan, but I'm on that bandwagon now. <laughs> <laughs> and if they win blue and white face paint, can we get that tattooed on you for life? Um, if they win, uh, draw or lose, I would say that's uh, that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> to given. All right, I'm excited for that. I think a thing that you both mentioned there that I hadn't really thought about is how long the previous season felt because. 
of COVID and the lack of fans, but then other like the Super League kind of tainting things. And it just like it felt like a very long season that we had to get through almost. And it was still enjoyable. There were still good moments. But this does feel a bit like a refresh. It feels like a reset. And you've got fans there. There's an atmosphere. There's national anthems. There are people singing. It just feels like there's there's that energy back that maybe we are missing towards the end of the season. And so I'm really excited to talk about all the games that we're going to be talking about. And I'm really excited to talk about today's game, which finished 3-0 to Italy. Uh, Graham, you were previewing Italy. I did the previewing of Turkey. I think my expectation was that Turkey would be defensively solid and maybe not as strong in attack. And I think I was correct on that one for about 45 minutes. Did the first 45 minutes go to plan according to Italy, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I certainly expected them to be the better team. And I think um, Rory Smith wrote a, a good article for the New York Times either today or yesterday where um, he was speaking about how Italy's new tactical um tweak is is fun that's their new that's their new philosophy so i was certainly expecting a lot of a lot of attacking attacking threat from them one of the things that slightly surprised me was just the level of control that they had in this game i expected them to have a lot of the ball i didn't quite expect turkey to barely get out of their half at all um, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know what I know what you're saying, and, and with, with your preview, you, you were saying that they were going to be quite defensive, and 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 that that panned out. But the, 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 this was extreme. This was. Can yeah. you even recall Turkey? I can remember Donnarumma making one kind of palmed save from a from a cross that wasn't even a shot. That was it. Gen, like genuinely, that was it. There was nothing. There was nothing else. So I, I guess in that to in in that extent, it, it was a little bit surprising. So uh, I want to, Joe, I want to get your thoughts on the first half as well and the opening kind of tactics. But Graham, when you said Italy's tactical tweak is fun, are you saying the tweak, like, is itself enjoyable? Are you saying that literally they've just decided, like, we're going to be more fun in this tournament? Yeah, yeah, the latter. That's that's what kind of Rory Smith was. Yeah, was they've kind of, obviously, Italy is the land of Catanaccio and and defensive football. And recently that has, really in the last 20 years, that hasn't really been the case. But that's always been a bit of a default setting for them. Whereas now... It really feels like they're embracing an attacking spirit, a little bit of chaos. I think we did see that in in this game, maybe particularly in the performance of uh, Berardi, who we're going to talk about a a little bit later on, I think. But um, yeah, this was this was a real line in the sand for for Italy in this 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 performance and this result. And I think no one's gonna no one's gonna consider them dark horses after this. I think they're very much (laughs) among the front runners. Yeah, I, I would say so. I really do think that like. It's a good opening game, both from an entertainment standpoint, but also because it does give us a spectrum now of like Italy, very good. Turkey, very bad. Let's see where the other teams are in between. Joe, for you, when you when you saw the lineups, you asked me about like what I thought maybe Turkey's tactical approach might be. I'm not sure I helped you out that much because I don't think I thought it was (laughs) going to be this defensive either. Did you get an idea of maybe what Turkey were trying to do and what Italy were trying to do to combat that? I think Turkey came into this game and they were hyper-focused on compressing space and playing this compact defensive, this this defensive way in their own half. And so for me, I saw it as this 4-4-2, maybe a 4-1-4-1. It was a little bit fluid, but typically Turkey would have Yomaz playing as the highest defender behind the ball, their number nine. And then they would have Yazidja, the player number 11, who was most often underneath Yomaz, and he would step to Jorginho, who was nominally the single pivot for Italy in their 4-3-3. But really, Italy under Mancini tweaked that 4-3-3 a little bit, and it still rested back to that shape. But it was Jorginho dropping a little bit more to the right in, in midfield, and Locatelli, who was in for Verratti in this game, dropping next to him on the left as 
as almost a double pivot in front of Chiellini and Benucci, and then oftentimes Florenzi as that right back tucking inside to form a back three. So Turkey, I think Turkey were very aware of Italy trying to build through midfield. And they said, okay, well, we're going to let you have the ball, but we're going to make that building very challenging for you. And we're going to have multiple players, usually Yazidja and then Tufan, who was a number six for them in midfield, not positionally a number six, but literally wearing the number six for them. They would both be stepping to Locatelli and they'd be stepping to Jorginho trying to limit that space. And honestly, I think it worked really well for 45 minutes. They sat deep, very deep, and it made it very hard for them to actually get out and transition and register shots on goal. They didn't have any shots on goal in the first half. So that that's a problem from an attacking standpoint. But defensively, they limited Italy. Italy had chances, but Turkey were resolute with how they defended. They would push a ton of numbers back behind the ball. And I thought as that first half finished, Man, Turkey's going to need to generate more of an attack in the second half, and they tried to do that. But defensively, that was uh, uh, that was the 45 minutes they needed to weather Italy's storm, and it all reversed in the second half. But for the first 45 minutes, I think their defensive intent was very clear, and they executed that fairly well. Yeah, I would agree. I would say uh, Karaman starting on the right. Uh, I saw him tracking Spinazzola back and essentially becoming another defender in sort of a back five. So Turkey, once they got closer to their goal, were basically in a 5-4-1 and did a good job of certainly congesting the middle of the field, but then still having numbers out wide to not really, to not let Juve, or Juve, to not let Italy uh, get much possession out wide or create much out wide and then come central with it. So I thought that was a strong defensive approach. But Joe, as you said, also not the most attacking either. It seemed like maybe they were hoping for Italy to get overcommitted and then catch them on the break. They almost did that right before the the opening goal for Italy. Graham, at halftime, the narrative seemed to be like, oh, Italy must be frustrated. They've had all this possession. They haven't been able to create any chances, though. They haven't been able to get a goal. They must be frustrated. And I do think there there is a reality in which that frustration boils over and they come out, they get overextended, they do get hit on the counter, and things are a very different way. So, do you give then credit to Italy for changing things up. What did you see that maybe made the difference from the first half to the second half? Or was it just sort of sticking with the game plan, not getting frustrated and not letting the game sort of get to their heads? One of the things I noticed from the first half to the second half was that the, the reliance on going down the left side on the, on, in the first half was overwhelming for Italy. And I, I feel like Chiellini touched the ball more than anyone else on the, on the pitch. In fact, I'm pretty sure he probably did in, the, in that first half. And then um, playing, playing the ball out to, you know, Spinazzola on, on, on the left side. Everything was coming down that left side. Now that continued, you know, that they, they definitely prioritized the left side over the course of the 90 minutes. But obviously the first goal comes from a, a move down the, down the right side with, with Berardi. And I just feel like that, that willingness to change it up ever so slightly and, and go down the right side of the pitch was, was maybe key in just creating a little bit of, of space. And pulling that, that Turkish defense in different directions. I think we saw in the, in the second half more kind of passes in behind. And so, and a couple of them were, were, um, you know, were called offside, either Immobile or, or Belotti late on getting called offside. So it didn't exactly work, but I just think that showed the, that, 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 um, willingness to stretch the pitch a little bit from left to right yep. was, was quite key to opening up those pockets of space. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they did it in a really interesting way. I went back and watched the sort of build up before that first goal, the own goal. Though it is an own goal, it is still well worked from Italy. And it's a couple of different little adjustments that I saw, one of which was Spinazzola staying deeper when Italy built out. But Karaman, I think for his part, was still trying to track him and still wanted to be alive to him and aware of him. So he would still follow him, which meant now instead of him dropping in and being a fifth defender, he was almost another attacker and further forward. At the same time, I saw Insigne and Berardi when Italy wanted to build like both of them almost with boots on the touchline pretty consistently so now you've got a fullback pulling one defender out and you've got two attackers spreading very wide and I think Italy just opened up the whole pitch and Turkey for their part also opened up a lot more to deal with that spread but that's in my mind exactly what Italy wanted them to do and it is I would say how they were so open for Italy to kind of pass right through them and get that opener an own goal though it may be Joe uh you I look to as as our uh our, t- our tactics expert does that does that vibe with what you saw in the uh opening of the second half it totally vibes with what I saw yeah I, th- I think Turkey I already talked about how defensively resolute they were in the first half, and that was probably the biggest tactical theme. But then I think they come into the second half and they want to play a little bit more. They have more. I went back and watched the the minutes leading up to this goal in the 53rd minute that gives Italy the lead. And the amount of times that Turkey had the ball and actually tried to do something with it, it might have been a long ball into Yomaz, or they might have been trying to split the center backs a little bit wider and play. But they did that almost more in those first six, seven, eight minutes of the of the second half than they did for the entire first half. And I think that was a big mistake from them because because then as soon as they try to play a little bit, then they lose the ball in the build-up to, to Italy's first goal. Then that's when Locatelli finds the ball on the left side of Italy's shape. And and there's no one really there's no one really to deal with the options for Italy on that left side, Turkey's right side. Barella is is all alone. He's isolated as he then tries to go play the ball to the to the weak side and, and finds the space in the pocket there. So there's just too much space for Italy in the in the attack there. Turkey struggled to compress that space. And then as soon as they allow that first goal, the floodgates open a little bit and it's a shot. Then it's another shot. Then it's another shot. And then it's Immobile's goal in the 66th minute. And then at that point, the game's pretty much over. Yeah. And it really is. You can, if it's nil nil and the other team are really pushing for it, you can sit and sit and wait and wait and wait and then try to pick that moment. But as soon as you're one nil down, if you're Turkey, can't really do that anymore. You can't really defend a 1-0 loss. So then you've got to try to go for it. You've got to try to create something. And I think they do change it up. Uh, Chanel Gunesh, the manager, does make some changes, does try to freshen it up a little bit. But I don't think they were changing anything at a fundamental level. They were really causing that many problems for Italy. I think Mancini himself made some smart changes and, and I think just managed this game from start to finish exceptionally well. Graham, again, for you, having done the preview, having watched some of Italy, uh, who were the players in this one that you felt really stood out or really kind of cemented their spot in this team? Because there's one player that I thought was impressive that might not start the next game, but I would say maybe they should try to find a way for him to do so. But first, I'd like to hear what you thought of the players. Okay, so one of the the players that I thought had a, had a brilliant game was uh, Lorenzo Insigne on on the left side, and and the, the where he scored his goal from. I, I saw Andy Brassel on Twitter descri- describing it as the the Insigne spot, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a perfect way to describe where he scored that 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 goal from. Which is kind of a it's also to do with the the pass that's played as well. As he always seems to score from from those sort of plays where the the pass is played, and he kind of runs round the ball and and curls a right footed shot into. 
it into the far corner from what would you say about 12 yards out or something like that that is very yeah. much the senior spot so I, I thought he was he, he had a very good game and um, I also thought Jorginho had a really good game and I actually think this team brings the best out of him Jorginho is one of these players who in the Premier League there's still, uh, despite the fact that he has, well, he's won the Champions League now and he's been there for a number of years and top managers clearly rate him very highly. There is a, uh, almost a snobbishness, a little bit of a skepticism. I don't know if snobbishness is actually the right word, but it's, it's almost as if he is seen as the embodiment of tiki taka when it's taken to the passing without purpose extent. And I think this match and this team shows Jorginho for his purpose that he can have in a team where I think that unit between Barella, Jorginho and Locatelli, um, I don't want to go into hot take territory or anything, but I'm struggling to see maybe a better balanced midfield unit at this, at this tournament. I think it's certainly up there. I think that I don't know if yeah. there's, there's going to be anyone who has a midfield unit that each player brings a, a different quality and they mesh together so well. So I thought Jorginho um, and Senior was really good and uh, I think Spinozola obviously on the left side, but I don't know how much of that was just down to the amount of space that, that Turkey were were willing to give him. <laughs> it was Great, quite, well, a, quite a lot. <laughs> let me ask you this about that midfield. What, so you mentioned uh, Barella, Jorginho, Locatelli as being maybe one of the best midfields we're going to have in the tournament. What about Barella, uh, Jorginho and Verratti? Um, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I am. Cause I, like, look at Deli, I thought was really impressive in doing, I think, exactly what was asked of him in the first half, but then also doing it in the second half, but it was an adjustment. I think he was asked to be more attacking. I think he was asked to be a little bit more adventurous with his passing. And I think he was also tasked with trying to find, uh, space around Jorginho, but then always to look for openings because of how spread uh, Italy were. And uh, for that opening goal, it is basically Locatelli finding uh, Barella who had advanced. Barella plays in Berardi and away we go. After that, I always watch the celebrations and the whole team obviously goes and celebrates because it's the opening goal. But then it's Locatelli and, uh, and Barella who make a point of like hugging and talking and clearly, in my mind at least, we're, we're sort of like, hey, that's what we were supposed to do. Like you can see them sort of being like, hey, we did the thing. Good job. And to me, that was a sign of what, what was being, what they were being instructed to do, but that they executed it. And with that, I would say Barella, being another attacking player almost and at times being like another forward, I thought further pushed Turkey back and made their defensive responsibilities more difficult. So that midfield was really, really strong. I agree with you. I just, I don't know how you also have Verratti coming back in and what you do, yeah. but I guess that's why I'm not managing Italy. Yeah, I guess in, in major tournaments, I am always wary of injured players coming mm. back into teams. And I just think teams get burned by trying to fit in players who quite clearly aren't aren't fit and despite the fact Verratti is probably the the is he the best yeah I mean I'm a massive fan of Barella I think Barella has a has the potential to actually be as good if not better than Verratti but I can see why you'd want to fit him into that midfield but I just think that balance is working so well at the moment I would I'd be keeping Verratti on the bench for the time being anyway at least until there's a time where you think maybe Locatelli has has reached his his ceiling maybe and then you then you start to introduce Verratti but yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the celebrations there because um, there was a tackle from Chiellini right at the end in stoppage time where he celebrates like he scored a goal and then Italy yeah. after full time are, are doing the, the kind of huddle. huddle. And I'm just thinking to myself, uh-oh, Italy are here. They are yeah. here for this tournament. Like, they are wired in and locked in already. Well, and, and I, I, 
I fundamentally agree with you. Sorry, Joe. I just want to say I had in my notes, I remember playing in tournaments and I remember what it's like to win your first game and to win it with that level of confidence. And I cannot, cannot imagine winning with this level of confidence on this big of a stage and in that sort of energy around it. It, it it's a marker i would say for sure of what what's to come and italy are going to be i think a force in this competition joe sorry i interrupted you no you're fine i just wanted to to add a, a bit on chiellini and bonucci i think they were phenomenal in this game not just for making last ditch slide tackles in the box in the few moments where they were called into action in, in important areas but i thought they kept Turkey's only real consistent attacking threat. Uh, and they make some changes at halftime, and I think that really does help them get out a little bit more in transition. But they neutralized Yilmaz in this game, and he was supposed to be, and, and still can be over the course of this tournament, but he's supposed to be this team's talisman. He's supposed to be this team's goal scorer, their primary attacking threat. And he did not look like that because of how effectively and efficiently Chiellini and Bonucci would step to him, deny him the ball, or at least if the ball came to Yilmaz, they would make life very difficult for him and made turning very difficult for him. They kept a tight offside line and had him running behind the line and offside on some transition moments for Turkey. I, I just don't think we can we can talk about this Italy team without giving some credit to Chiellini and Benucci for what they do in possession, yes, but also how they've proven themselves over and over again, and again in this game, able to neutralize an opposing team's primary attacking outlet. Yeah, and 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 for their part, Turkey were not able to do that when it came to Ciro Immobile, who gets the goal, gets an assist. I thought a player that like isn't always one that I would say like, yes, he's definitely at that next level. I know there were plenty of statistics spouted by John Champion about how good of a goal scorer he is, but I don't think of him as being that that next level uh, attacking threat that maybe Italy have had in the past. I might a little bit more after this performance, not just because he scores, but the assist is almost as impressive as the goal itself because of the vision, and he just it's perfectly weighted. His movement, I thought, was excellent. I think the same goes for Insigne. Really, one of the only p- players that we haven't talked about for Italy who played most of the game was Berardi, who does force that own goal. Uh, Graham, where were you on his performance in this opener? I-, I saw a lot of people praising his performance. I can understand why a lot of people felt that he played well. And, and from a tactical point of view, you mentioned in the second half, he was, he was very much... Um, hugging the touchline and I can understand why tactically it would be important to have a player like him in the team. I just can't shake the feeling that I would have Chiesa in that, in his spot for the, for the second, for the second group game. I just think Berardi, he had a, I, I mentioned, uh, referenced it as a, a Vinicius Jr. of a performance to you before we, we started recording it. Right. And what I mean by that is, such a good one. he, he was getting in good positions. He was, he was making things happen. And the first goal obviously comes from his kind of smashed cross across the, across the goal. So, he it, it, things were things were happening for him, and and as I say, the first goal comes through him. But it just felt a, quite an erratic performance from him, and a little bit wild and lacking in composure. And there was at least one or maybe two slashed shots when a pass might have been the better option. And I just think while he while he Italy and he got away with it in this game against Turkey, I just think maybe by the time you get to the latter stages when you're maybe not going to have as many chances against better defences, you probably want a guy who's going to be able to take those chances. And I I just think Chiesa, I, I highlighted him in the preview as my one of my key players for Italy. I did uh, qualify it with, with the, the fact that Mancini had preferred Berardi in some of the recent games. He's in, He'd scored four and four before this game. So it, it wasn't a total surprise that he was in the team. But yeah, I, I just think Chiesa's brings so much individual quality that I would have him on that right side. 
Yeah, and and in the nine minutes Chiesa was on the pitch, uh, no goals conceded by Italy. So that's that's, <laughs> that's certainly a positive one. Uh, that's how I'm spinning that. So maybe for Italy, the questions we have uh, going into the next game would be, uh, what happens with Berardi? Does Verratti start over Locatelli? And then uh, what happens with Florenze, who did come out at halftime for Di Lorenzo? Is that a, a change we'll see going into the next one? For Turkey, I think there are just a lot of questions. <laughs> and I think they'll probably continue to play the same way. I don't see them changing their structure or throwing some completely new idea out there. I think it's just going to be hope that against uh, Wales and Switzerland, maybe things are more favorable for them. And and they'll find more of the ball in those games, right? They'll have more chances to control possession. Italy came in and played like Manchester City. They came in and played like peak Spain, maybe not quite as effective in that style in the first half, but they came in to dominate the ball and they did exactly that. Switzerland, I, I think, will control more possession, certainly than Turkey and, and more than Wales, but Turkey in these next two games that they have in this group stage, they're going to be able to get on the ball more. We'll see more quality from them. We'll see Yomaz get more touches. We'll see Chalanolu get more touches. We'll see, I mean, we'll see the rest of their attacking core. I thought, uh, Taylor, I'm going to need your pronunciation up on this. Under? Uh, under? Coming off Jinkies the bench in there. this... In, yeah, Under, I, I thought he was really bright and provided more than really any attacker had for Turkey in this game. I wouldn't be shocked to see him start in the next game out wide and, and have Chalanolu more inside. But yeah. there's there's hope for Turkey in that. I think they will get a little bit more of the ball in their next two group stage games. And and Taylor, I just direct this question to you as a resident uh, t- <laughs> uh, Turkey expert, as you've now been anointed. Um, the goalkeeper, Shakir? 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 Shaker, sorry, absolutely murdered that pronunciation. <laughs> Turkish We've all been there, Greg. Again, I lived there for two years and studied there six months before to that. Uh, it's a hard language, and I still don't even pronounce it properly. So uh, I will, I'm giving you my best estimations, but uh, there is no judgment for me about pronunciation, I promise. <laughs> so in terms of his distribution in this game, how, how worried would you be going forward in the tournament where Turkey will obviously, as Joe say, want to have, uh, Joe says, will want to have more of the ball I felt like his distribution was really sketchy at times, and um, I don't know, like some of the some of the direction of his passes, it was like he had toasters on his toes for some of the moments. It was very <laughs> peculiar. Yes, is my I've answer to that. that before. <laughs> uh, like I have not either, and I love that analogy. Uh, yeah, it was not great, and it got worse as the game went on. I think as the frustration built, maybe some of that focus went. I mean, the third goal is is him pretty much straight up passing it to Italy and then they come back down and and uh and slam and slam it in for the third goal. Yeah, I think his distribution maybe it was if we're being generous maybe it was just the occasion, the pressure, the way the game press, ended the Italian up going. high press, yeah. Yeah, but but I think you're absolutely right that if I am Switzerland or Wales, I might be thinking, let's step a little bit higher than we plan to and see what we can do cuz his distribution definitely looked like a player who maybe wasn't quite like used to this experience and he is i don't say this disparagingly but he is the goalkeeper for Trabzonspor, uh who are in the eastern part of the country it's not like the the cosmopolitan istanbul team that you have with the other three big teams in turkey that do get a lot more coverage that do get a lot more attention so maybe it was also that this is kind of the biggest stage he's been on in his career maybe he just didn't quite have that level of confidence you need the way say donnarumma did for having significant more experience at that level. But yes, uh, Graham, I think that's a, a good one to focus on for the next couple games. We are obviously going to talk about Turkey and Italy again. Uh, anything else from this game before we move on to tomorrow's fixtures? 
just a, just a few stats that I, that I picked out. Mm. Um, so before to, this is quite an incredible one. Before tonight, Italy had never scored more than two goals in a single European Championship match, That's which is crazy. that is quite incredible given how you know the 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 history that they've got at the top of the international game. Um, Turkey tonight gave up as many goals three, obviously, as they as they did through all of qualifying. Which is uh, is is quite incredible, and and this this win three 0 win for Italy is the biggest margin of victory in an opening match of a Euros ever. So, I think Ryan uh, build uh, got us expecting a bit of a stalemate, particularly at halftime when it was nil nil. He was telling us this is how these games go: first game in international tournaments. <laughs> well, ha, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's not here to defend himself. I think I was also uh, writing similar things, but yeah, it was Ryan's fault. Let's all make fun of Ryan for being <laughs> stupid. We'll do that tomorrow. For now, uh, we'll talk about tomorrow's games. Right now, uh, up first at nine a.m., we've got Wales v Switzerland. Uh, I really do have a little bit of a goldfish brain. It's why I'm trying to write down as much as I can, uh, both in the show for my notes, but also during the game to have good notes. Uh, if we could do a quick refresher, Joe, I know you, you did the previewing on Wales. Like, what is the basic, like, 15 second, 15 to 30 second summary of what we should expect from Wales? They'll likely play a 3-4-3. You got that double pivot in there. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see Neko Williams, young Liverpool fullback, uh, as the left wing back. Sometimes tucking inside, they have speed in the front line. They can change things up and go with a more direct option as a number nine and have a little bit more height there and, and have Gareth Bale run in behind. I don't expect them to dominate possession, and I especially don't expect them to dominate possession against a team like Switzerland. Uh, and that is the team like Switzerland that we watched play against the United States and did quite well with them. Uh, Graham, I don't know how much you've been able to watch of Switzerland. I know that it was Ryan doing the Swiss preview, so I won't mm-hmm. throw you under the bus here. I'll instead just mention <laughs> Ryan not being, being here. And I'll go back to Joe. Joe, uh, for the Swiss game, I think I'm rooting this a lot in the friendly they just had against the United States. Uh, coming out of that one, it feels like they're a, a very strong team that people should be concerned of, about, and I think they're so 7-0 win over Liechtenstein. Not really Europe's most dominant team, but that probably also turned some heads as well. Oh, yeah. I, t- don't knock Liechtenstein, Taylor. Come on now. No, I mean, Switzerland Switzerland are, are likely to come out also in a three at the back shape. It was a 3-4-1-2 against the United States, and I know they've used that in other games recently as well. Shakiri plays as the number 10, but he'll also float into the front line and fro- uh, float over to the right wing. He has this free role at times in their attack. The double pivot is really what I'm going to be watching for in this game combined with Shakiri. It's probably going to be Granit Xhaka and then Freuler, who plays for Atalanta. It could be Zakaria, who plays for Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. So they have three guys who are, are all very strong presence. All have that very strong presence in midfield. Quality on the ball. They can use the ball to move forward. They have Ricardo Rodriguez, who typically plays as their left wing back, who can tuck inside and add numbers there as well. I, I really like the Swiss in this tournament, and I think we're going to see why. I'm hoping we're going to see why tomorrow against Wales. Yep, and I will uh, go off the name that you just said there, Ricardo Rodriguez, uh, moving to specific predictions for a second. One of the only predictions I have for tomorrow is that Ricardo Rodriguez will get a goal or an assist. Uh, I always sort of write off the Swiss. I always kind of forget that Ricardo Rodriguez is very good. I also always think he's like 34, and I think he's 28. So I'm going to try to earn uh, my way into his good graces by giving him some love and saying that I think he is going to get a goal or an assist tomorrow. And that's not just because of 
of uh, my feeling that I've offended him in the past, it's because he's a very good contributor down that left-hand side. He's good uh, with his delivery. I think he can take set pieces as well, but also can make those sort of late-arriving runs to overload one side, and I think he will be uh, pretty involved. So I think I've also maybe just guaranteed that he won't start. Do either of you have any predictions for this one? Yep, so my specific pr- prediction for this game is that Bale will have more than three shots, and the reason that I've put the bar there is I looked back through a lot of Wales' previous games, and it seems to be a very clear trend that when Gareth Bale gets shots away, Wales are effective, and his average tends to be around 2.5, so if he's if he's getting more than uh, three shots away, then it's a sign that Wales are getting the ball to him, and I think one of the problems they might have is getting the ball to Gareth Bale and moving the ball f- uh, forward up the pitch. So that's uh, a little bit of a weather vein for, for this match. That oh, that's really for. interesting. All right, so basically if... It, it's a little bit like Ryan's idea that if Tony Cruz and Luka Modric play for Real Madrid, they're going to win. Exactly, yeah. Or if they have a good game, <laughs> then Madrid have a good game. So if Bale gets three shots, it means Wales are probably doing something right? That's correct, yes. Ooh, I like it. All right, Joe, uh, I've, I've given one for Switzerland. Uh, Graham had one for Wales. Do you have one for either? I'm the tiebreaker. I also have a Switzerland prediction, yeah, which doesn't do. necessarily going to mean it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win. Two to one, but... Graham, in your face. <laughs> <laughs> I have my prediction as Shakiri, Jaka, and then whoever that other number eight is, Freuler or Zakaria, are going to pull Wales's double pivot apart in the build up to a goal. So Ooh. I'm predicting that Switzerland will score at least once here, and that they're going to be able to use that numerical that na- that natural numerical advantage that they'll have in midfield with the the double pivot, and then Shakiri playing as the ten. That three v two versus versus Wales double pivot. I think they're going to be able to use that to to their advantage and build up through that space and break into the attack and score a goal. All right. That game is at 9 a.m. Uh, here on the East Coast. Uh, adjust your schedules accordingly based on where you live. At noon on the East Coast, we've got Denmark versus Finland, a game that is going to make me be very quiet for the next few moments. Uh, Graham, you <laughs> did the Denmark preview. Uh, quick refresher on Denmark, if you please. Yeah, so Denmark are looking like a very solid team to me. They've got a lot of momentum behind them. I think I said in their their preview that their their unbeaten run stretches back to before the last World Cup, which is is is, is quite incredible. Um, passing triangles is is going to be the key to to this Denmark performance. When they beat England at Wembley not so long ago, I thought that was what they they did so well. It's also about harnessing their main man, who is Christian Eriksen, and as I said in the preview. I think he is as key to this team as any one individual is to a team at at this tournament. So if he has a quiet game, then that's not a good sign for for Denmark. But yeah, they have this is a a group of players who I think they they have a lot of players I would say in their peak years. So uh, Hoiberg, Delaney, Eriksson, Brathwaite, um, Poulsen. Kayar, Andreas Christensen. So they, they've got a Kasper Sch- uh, Schmeichel as well. So they've got a lot of players who are proven at the top level. And I actually, I, I know we've talked about Turkey as dark horses. Denmark were my pick as a dark horse to make a good run in this tournament. And I, I expect they'll start quite strongly tomorrow. All right. Uh, so that is Denmark. Is that also your specific prediction or did you have one for them as well? Um, my specific prediction, and this is one I'm not entirely sure. We're going to have to go deep into the into the stats into oh Octa, but um, Hoiberg, Eriksson, Delaney. I think if if they are the most frequent passing combination, um, uh, then I think Denmark are rolling. As I say, all the, all their all their they're all about passing triangles and, and and patterns. That's how they like to get up the pitch. They should see plenty of the ball here, and so if that central unit isn't seeing plenty of the ball, then something's not working. All right, so that is Denmark. Uh, Joe, their opponent, Finland, take it away. Finland will be Turkey. 
I think, in how they approach this game. <laughs> Not necessarily that Denmark is quite on Italy's level, but Finland are likely going to sit deep in a 5-3-2 block. They have Timu Puki as one of those forwards in that front two who uh, scored a bunch of goals for Norwich as they got promoted to the Premier League this past year in the championship. They're they're going to try to absorb pressure. They're going to try to sit deep and and then use the ball quickly and move up the field quickly, not necessarily playing long balls over the top all the time. They'll likely try to get the ball into Puki's feet from time to time as well. But it, it's going to be a tough task for them to actually sustain much of any possession of the ball in this game tomorrow. And any uh, specific predictions for Finland for this one? Yeah, I've got I've got two. One is that I think they'll have less than thirty five percent possession, or or thirty five percent possession or less, just to keep that round number still still on my side. And then I, I think Glenn Kamara, who's a player I talked about in the preview, plays for Rangers in Scotland. I think he's going to have at least one driving run for Finland out of midfield after Finland win the ball, recover it deep. I think he's going to have one one dribble forward that threatens Denmark in some way. I don't think Finland are going to have a lot of attacking chances, but Kamara has quality on the ball to be able to. To advance possession for them, and I think they're going to need that quality. I would agree with you, and I will add nothing else because I have no other uh, predictions for this one. So I will take us to the 3 p.m. game again, East Coast, uh, Belgium versus Russia. I previewed Russia, Ryan previewed Belgium, but I feel like we have a decent familiarity with a lot of Belgium's uh, squad because they're quite good, quite deep. Uh, for either of you, are there any players you're particularly excited to be seeing in this one? The expectation, I would say, is that they will either, they will probably go in a back three because, as always, Belgium have a million center backs and then very few fullbacks. So maybe it's Castagni. I hope it's Carrasco. I can't remember yeah, if he that's... ended up making the roster, but if so, I hope he's there. Yeah, Carrasco is the one that I am excited to to, to see if, if if he plays um, yeah. on that on that left side because he had such a, a brilliant season for for Atletico Madrid. He's obviously been converted into a a, a wing back. He started out as a as a, a a pure winger at Atleti, and and so I just think he's he's perfect for this Belgium team. And so if if Martinez doesn't use him, I'm a, I'm a bit perplexed as to why he wouldn't. So I think Carrasco is is one that I'll be keeping an eye on. Obviously. Hazard being a doubt and De Bruyne being out of this game changes things up a little bit. But I, I, ideally, I would, I think Martinez would want to somehow draw Russia out a little bit because I feel like the, when Belgium are at their best, it's when they get players like Lukaku, who Martinez was one of the first managers to recognize that everyone had, or a lot of people had Romel Lukaku wrong as a player. And actually he is most dangerous when you get him turned and running towards goal. Obviously that requires a bit of space and the temptation for Russia might be to sit deep a little bit. So I think that would be a bit of a key to the match. That's really interesting and I feel like paints a precarious picture for this game because I absolutely think Russia are going to sit very deep. Uh, Joe, to your point about Finland, I would say Russia will try to do what Turkey tried to do in that first half. I think they are going to sit deeper in a 4-2-3-1. I think they're going to work very, very, very hard and they are going to look for Artem Zuba, their gigantic captain and central striker to win everything in the air, uh, be it across uh, from out wide or just a long ball clearance. 
I will say from my preview that there are times in which it seems like Russia drop too deep too quickly and and seed open space in front of uh, in front of goal around zone 14. Uh, and so I would say that maybe I think this prediction came about when I thought it would be Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. I was going to predict that Belgium will score a goal from outside the 18. Instead, I'm going to say slightly different. I'm not sure how this will work out. Maybe you all can help me fine tune it. But I'm going to say Belgium will attempt three or more shots from distance in the first half. And if they do, I think it means Russia's game plan is working, and it means probably yeah. it's nil-nil at halftime. Maybe Russia with a slight yeah, advantage. A uh, that's what I'm going to say. Is, is I'm going with Graham's idea of creating a narrative of what could happen and what that would look like. Well, and, and Taylor, I think that's really good because in this game, Italy-Turkey, we saw Turkey compress their space and sit so many numbers, 8, 9, 10 numbers back in their own box and force Italy to shoot from distance. And so I, I really do think we could see that again tomorrow with with Russia sitting deeper and forcing Belgium to take shots from distance. So yeah, I think that's a great prediction. My my very specific prediction for tomorrow is that Russia's big guy, their number nine, their holdup man, Artem Zuba, will have three moments of hold-up play that find Alexander Golovin cutting yeah. inside from the left onto his right foot. I remember Golovin being my favorite Russian player to watch at the 2018 World Cup. He has so much quality coming inside on that right foot. He's not a super consistent player at club level, but I think because they're going to be sitting so deep, Zuba is going to have chances to knock the ball down and allow Golovin to run at goal. I like it. Uh, Graham, any predictions for this one? My my prediction was actually the flip side of yours, Taylor, oh. which was a, a sign that that things are going well for Belgium. So perfect, I've got that Belgium perfect. will will score a goal on the on the on the rapid counter attack either through Lukaku or he's the one who applies the finishing touch. And and as I say, that was a key feature of their play at the 2018 World Cup. And so if that happens, I think it's a sign that their game plan is working. You've obviously gone for the flip side of that, so we're like kind it. of on the same yeah. same page there. All right. So I think we have a good idea for what's working and what's not working uh, tomorrow in Belgium versus Russia. Uh, we've got those three games. We will be back. I think all four of us will be back tomorrow evening to review those in various forms. Uh, Graham, my final question for you before we go. I just saw this on Twitter. I'm wondering what you would say. Uh, this was uh, somebody uh, took a screen grab of this question floating uh, around right now. Would you accept this deal? I'm assuming these are all Scottish people. Uh, we beat England at Wembley, but England go on to win the Euros. Graham, do you accept that? No. <laughs> that was every single response was varying degrees of no with various obscenities in front of it. No, abs- absolutely not. We, well, I mean, we're, if we beat England, we want to win the Euros. There you go. <laughs> uh, Joe, what about you? Are you going to accept that one? Scotland beat England uh, and then England win the Euros? On, on Graham's behalf, I will also say no because I'm afraid he'll jump <laughs> through the Joe. screen. Uh, and, and I just, I want to do you a solid, Graham. So, no. oh, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Joe, very kind of you. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for, for chatting about Turkey v. Italy with me today. You got it, Taylor. Graham, thank you for doing the same. No problem, Taylor. It's always fun. It's good to get the first one in the can. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Listeners, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all again in about 24 hours. Bye.